0: Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. And he, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. All right, are you ready? It was promised. You ready for this? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. I will not tell you the number of times that song has gone through my mind while I have studied this passage of Scripture. I just wanted to implant it in your mind, and it's a great illustration of the fact that this is an incredibly simple story. Now, that song doesn't incorporate every part of the story, but this is an incredibly simple story. In fact, while we were this week picking blueberry bushes, I call them our blueberry bushes that happen to be located on Cecil's property, I was reminded, there was a great illustration that jumped out to me. If you're patient and you'll stand in one spot and pick blueberries, you can think after a few minutes, you've picked all the blueberries in that spot. But all you have to do is take one step to the left or to the right, and you quickly realize, no, you have not got all the blueberries in that spot. There are many more that you don't see. When we look at this simple story of wee little Zacchaeus, we can think, man, this is summed up in one children's song. And... A good bit of it can be, but if we just take a simple step to the left or to the right, what you find is there is way, way more here than is packaged into a kid's song. As I've studied this passage, I've come to realize, or at least I believe, that what we have here in this story of wee little Zacchaeus is a crescendo. It's a crescendo to a rather large section of the Gospel of Luke that starts all the way back in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. When Luke records this, Now when the days drew near for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up, Jesus set out resolutely to go to Jerusalem. So all the way from Luke chapter 9 verse 51 to this point in Luke chapter 19, in the beginning of Luke 19, we see this movement of Jesus towards Jerusalem. And in verse 1, we get an indicator that Jesus is very close to Jerusalem because we're told that he's at Jericho. Jericho was uh, not far from Jerusalem. There was a, a road, a carved out road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And from what I am told, it's about an eight to nine hour walk from Jericho to Jerusalem if you're healthy. That was the caveat, if you're healthy, because it's almost all uphill. There's a 3,300 uh, foot difference in elevation from Jericho, which is below sea level, to Jerusalem, which is well above sea level. So Luke is letting us know this is getting closer. that there's there, We're coming to a close here. But we also find this, that, that Luke is building. You can hear the music in the background. It's building to this story. So if we back up to Luke chapter 18, here's what we find. We find in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9, a parable that Jesus tells. And he says in verse 9 that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And lo and behold, in this parable, there's a tax collector, and then there's a Pharisee. And as we walk through this story with Zacchaeus, we find that, well, lo and behold, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And this crowd thinks themselves way better than Zacchaeus, and they hold him in contempt. Interestingly enough, we leave that parable to find a situation starting in verse 15 of chapter 18 where the disciples are refusing children to come to Jesus and Jesus says no, takes one of the little ones, puts it on his knee and says, unless you humble yourself like this child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And what do we find? We find a tax collector acting like a child as he climbs up and down trees and humbly enters the kingdom of God. Very purposefully, Luke records the story of the rich young ruler starting in verse 18 of chapter 18. A rich young ruler like Zacchaeus who is also rich, but this, this is not a tax collector. This is a man who, who is moral and upright and has done good things and he is seeking Jesus and he's even asking the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This rich young ruler believes himself to have fulfilled the law and leaves sorrowful because he loves money. As opposed to Zacchaeus, who's not asking about eternal life at all and gives away his money, having found eternal life. That flows into verse 31, where Jesus reminds his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem because everything regarding the Son of Man that's written in Scripture must be fulfilled. He must be delivered over. He must be mocked and shamefully treated, spit on, flogged, killed, and then rise again. Why? Because he's going to save ones like Zacchaeus. And then we're, we close out chapter 18 with the story of a blind beggar. Now, in Jericho, there was, as scholars tell us, there was a residential part of Jericho and a municipal part of Jericho. And Jesus has, it seems, left the residential part of Jericho. And there's about a mile and a half distance between the residential part and the municipal part. And it's probably between there that he comes across this blind beggar. And this blind beggar is much like Zacchaeus. Luke wants us to see this blind beggar is outside of the crowd and the crowd is trying to keep Jesus from the blind beggar and the blind beggar from Jesus just like they do with Zacchaeus. But at least this blind beggar sees better than Zacchaeus because this blind beggar knows to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. By this point in the Gospel of Luke, none of us are surprised that Jesus would stop for a blind beggar. I mean, Luke has gone out of his way to show that Jesus stops for the poor and for the weak and for the marginalized. And so that makes sense. But then Jesus is now entering into Jericho, into this municipal part of Jericho. And it tells us that he's going to pass through. And lo and behold, what do we find? We find Zacchaeus. And we find what I believe is a crescendo of the grace of God displayed in Christ. I want us to pick, as it were, three blueberries this morning. There are clusters of blueberries in this story, and I'm going to try as best I can not to grab all of them, because if you've picked blueberries, you know what's happened. You try and grab a whole bunch, especially when they're up above you. Most of them end up rolling down your arm and on the ground, and it doesn't work. So we're going to do our best to pick three luscious blueberries, but we are not going to put these into a bag, into a basket. We're not going to save them for later. We, by uh, the work of the Spirit, hopefully are going to ingest these. We're going to savor these and taste of the wonderful grace of God. So three things. Grace surprises, grace reveals, and grace transforms. Grace surprises, grace reveals, and grace transforms. First of all, grace surprises. Jesus is passing through this municipal part of Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. What exactly is a chief tax collector? Well, this is the only place a chief tax collector shows up, and as best uh, people seem to be able to tell, they, they think that he probably was over other tax collectors. And so instead of being like a Matthew who was a tax collector himself, uh, it's probably the case that Zacchaeus was over tax collectors. And so he got his cut out of their cut. He managed them. And, and that is probably where he got his wealth from. That's the other thing we know about Zacchaeus here is that he's a tax collector and that he was rich. Now, if you're like me, your first question is, well, how rich? I think um, if if Zacchaeus were around today, his house would have been in one of those YouTube videos about the rich and famous. And, And I mean, I think Zacchaeus was probably incredibly rich. I think that in part because he's a chief tax collector, but also because when we get towards the end of the story, did you notice how much Zacchaeus can give away? He can right off of the top give away half of all of his goods and somehow still have enough money left over to pay back all of his the people he's defrauded four times what he's defrauded them. Now, if he can really do that, he's got a substantial amount of money. So Zacchaeus is this rich tax collector. And what are we told? Verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, you could try and jam a bunch into that to make Zacchaeus a better person, but I don't think the text really lets us do that. Luke doesn't tell us why Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. And given the way that Luke has described other people who are desperate to get to Jesus, that type of language is definitely not here. So why does Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? Well, it may be that Zacchaeus has heard about Jesus performing miracles, right? I mean, he just healed a blind man, and we're told that that blind man is now following Jesus, by the way. It may also be this, right? Throughout the gospel of Luke, what has Luke continued to uh, tell us that Jesus has been labeled? He's been labeled a friend of sinners and tax collectors, Perhaps Zacchaeus has heard about this, this Jesus who's been labeled a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Now, Jesus has passed through this part of town before, and so maybe Zacchaeus is saying, hey, I want to see the guy who's supposed to actually be a friend to people like me. Why would we think that? Well, we get this great little detail that makes all of the men in this room sorry for Zacchaeus because of all the things that could be recorded about him. He is recorded to have been short. Why do we know that Zacchaeus is short? Well, because I think Luke is trying to tell us that while Zacchaeus was financially prosperous and wealthy, he was relationally bankrupt. Jesus is coming. There's a crowd probably coming with Jesus and a crowd that's forming to see Jesus. And Zacchaeus, being the short guy, wants to be able to see Jesus. Now, in that situation, what's the most obvious thing to do? Excuse me, um, excuse me, could I just could I just get, get excuse me? Can I get through there, please? Excuse me. I mean it's not like Zacchaeus is an eight foot tall guy who just wants to be on the front row and then nobody behind him will be able to see. He's short. He just wants to get to the front, he just wants to be able to see Jesus. Now I know that I'm, I'm, I'm inferring some things here, but, but I think part of the reason Luke gives us these things is to help us to understand either Zacchaeus asked and no one would listen or he knew just not to bother asking. No one was going to move for Zacchaeus. No one was even going to go so far as to slide over so Zacchaeus could get ahead. No, the crowd is there and Zacchaeus is behind them. The crowd is formed here and Zacchaeus is separate. And so what does Zacchaeus do? Well, verse 4 says that he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. Now, I want you to imagine that when the service ends, you see one of the grown men in this church sprinting across the field and then shoot up a tree. That'd be a little odd. Well, it depends on the guy. It wasn't necessarily a a normal thing culturally for a man to run. A distinguished man with a title like Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector. I doubt he did a lot of running. And then to climb a tree. But this is what he does. He runs ahead. He climbs a tree, a sycamore tree. And he waits there for the Lord to pass that way, for Jesus to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, verse 5 tells us. I love that. When he came to the place, it makes it sound like it was, a, it was a determined spot. Like there was a sign that said, hey, there's a guy up this tree. He's the guy you're supposed to meet. But it was the place. How, did, how, did, how was it the place? Well, we go on and we find out. Jesus came to the place. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. This is the best part of the song, is it not? When I was a kid, this is the part you were waiting for. I mean, the wee little Zacchaeus stuff, that was kind of cool. You can tell a lot, probably, about the home life of a child by the way they quote these words of Jesus, right? There are some kids, it's like, Jesus is happy. Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to your house. And then there's that other kid, Zacchaeus, you get down here. I'm going to your house, right? It's more like a threatening kind of thing. Well, I don't know how you see Jesus in that moment, but I don't think that was quite it. Jesus stops at the place, and he looks up at Zacchaeus. Now, again, you, could, you can read all kinds of things in here, and our imagination can go wild. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that Zacchaeus was trying to hide. The text doesn't tell us that. But here's what we do know. Zacchaeus wasn't screaming from the tree, Hey, Jesus! Woo! Up here! Zacchaeus wasn't running down. Zacchaeus is intentionally the opposite of blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus is screaming, and the crowd's like, Would you shut up? And Bartimaeus will not stop screaming. Zacchaeus is up a tree. As best we can tell, he's just going to let Jesus pass by. All he wants to do is see if Jesus is real, see, lay eyes on him. It's Jesus who stops. It's Jesus who knows Zacchaeus is up in this tree and somehow even knows Zacchaeus' name. Now maybe maybe he there are there are other possibilities as to how Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. It doesn't have to be that that he just he knew it because he was God in the flesh, but that's a possibility as well. And so he looks up and he says to Zacchaeus, he gives him a clear command, "Come down and do it quickly. For I and do you notice this? I must stay at your house today." Jerusalem's not that far away, but Jesus isn't going to get there today. He's going to stay at Zacchaeus' house, and he must do it. There's a necessity that Jesus stay at Zacchaeus' house. Why is there necessity? Why did Jesus, of all of the people there, why did he have to stay at Zacchaeus' house? That's a great question. We'll get there. But let's look at Zacchaeus' response first. Verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Now Luke is doing something very intentionally here. The exact same words that he uses in the command of Jesus, he uses again in the response of Zacchaeus. He wants us to see that Zacchaeus did exactly what Jesus said. Not only that, but he tells us that he did those things, and then he tells us how he did those things, with what attitude he did those things. He didn't come down fearfully and receive Jesus fearfully. He didn't do it begrudgingly. He didn't do it with anger. He didn't do it with suspicion. What did he do it with? Joy. Now here we lose track of where in the world we're at. Are we still at the tree? Did we end up at Zacchaeus' house? Where are we? And we don't know. And from here on out in the story, we don't know where we're at. I tend to think when it says that, that he received him with joy, that this is describing quickly Zacchaeus came down from the tree and they went to Zacchaeus' house and the rest of this takes place there. But we don't know for sure. What we do know is that Zacchaeus did exactly what Jesus said and that he did it with Joy. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke is trying, he's putting a big signpost, and I think his readers, Theophilus, he would have gotten this. This is to say that Zacchaeus has responded in humble faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has placed his faith in Christ. Why? Well, in part, a big part of that is because joy is the response of those who receive Christ by faith all through the Gospel of Luke. It starts all the way back, Luke chapter 2, verse 10, when the angels proclaim to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now, Jesus has been received into the houses of lots of people, and we've seen feasts all throughout the the gospel of Luke. He wasn't received to all of them with joy. But he's received by Zacchaeus with joy. Why? Because I believe that that he has put saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, he is glad to have Jesus come to his house. Otherwise, I don't know that this would have been a really joyful engagement. I'm going to have a rabbinical teacher come and stay at my house. I'm a tax collector. I know I'm a thief. It would have been very awkward. But Zacchaeus has come to faith in Christ. And so he receives him with joy. And at this point, at this point, I think that the crowd is shocked. We'll see their reaction in a minute. I think Zacchaeus is shocked. Zacchaeus just wanted to see Jesus. He just wanted to know who he is. This was not what Zacchaeus was asking for. If you want to put it in another way, Jesus' answer to prayer, Zacchaeus wasn't even praying. Zacchaeus is shocked, and I think as Theophilus is reading this from Luke and the original recipients of this gospel are reading this, they're going, are you kidding me? Zacchaeus? I mean, I get the blind guy, and I get a leper, and I get these other people, but the rich chief tax collector, are you kidding me? There's utter surprise. Because grace surprises. We have a, a, a short video clip, a great example. Many of you have probably seen this video before. We'll, we'll just take a look at it.
1: Hey Lily, do you want to open a birthday present early? You do? Okay, go sit on the couch. Is your birthday coming? open that backpack. think we should take all this stuff? Where do you want to go with it? You could go anywhere, where would you want to go? Yay. Why don't we go? Okay, go. Now, today, <gasps> I'm, being ser- <laughs> I'm being serious. We going? We're leaving today to go to Disneyland. Are you joking? No, I'm not joking. Are we done? Yes, we're going. We're going.
0: Grace surprises. Leslie Jensen says this surprise is an important part of grace. Grace isn't the thing you planned, it's what you get instead. It's not the product of a narrative or a normal cause and effect. It catches you off guard. There's an element of grace that always surprises because it's what's unmerited, it's undeserved. No one reading the Gospel of Luke, no one who knew Zacchaeus, and as we will see the crowd for sure, no one looks at Zacchaeus and says, that's the guy. That's the one who should have Jesus stay at their house because grace surprises. I love in that video the fact that that this little girl trying to put the pieces together... After hearing we're going to Disneyland, burst into tears, and then tries to make sense. She knows her birthday isn't for a week. But how could they go to Disneyland today if her birthday isn't for a week? So what does she do? She immediately tries to figure out, well, maybe today's my birthday. Maybe I've messed it up. For those of us who know of the grace of God and have placed our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I think we can be tempted to do the same. In some weird way, we want to domesticate grace. We want to take the surprise out of it. We want to try and figure out how grace fits. We want somehow to make it fit the narrative of our lives, to turn it into cause and effect. We want to figure out the right way to pray a prayer to get the grace that we want to show up when we want it, the way we want it. But it doesn't work that way. It never works that way. Leslie Jameson goes on to say, and you have to keep this quote in in the right context, but says this, the vending machine of grace is vast and never gives you exactly what you ask for. And that means we have to pay attention because we're not always aware when grace has arrived. I don't know why I do this in my life, but I want to take the surprise out of grace. I even turn a wonderful gift of prayer into a way to try and tell God how I think he should give me grace and what it should look like and when it should show up and how big it should be. But as he did the moment that he saved me, like he does here with Zacchaeus, grace is a surprise. And it always is. That element I don't think ever disappears because it's unmerited, because it originates in the heart of Christ. That's where the necessity comes from. The necessity of this moment wasn't in Zacchaeus. It wasn't anything in him. The only people not surprised in that video are the parents who planned the whole thing. Who planned this whole thing was Zacchaeus. We're told in verse 10. We're told why there was necessity. Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was the place. And Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. And Jesus calls him down. Why? Because this is why he came to show, to show the same heart of the God who revealed himself to Moses and said, I am a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. To, to put flesh on that and to live it out, to show it. Jesus wasn't surprised, but I think everyone else there was shocked. Zacchaeus, are you kidding me? Not the rich young ruler. You sure you don't want the rich young ruler? That guy who was really morally good? Grace surprises. But here's what else grace reveals. Verse 7, if this were a fairy tale, would read very differently. And when they saw it, they being the crowd that was there, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. This word grumble does not appear much in the New Testament, but in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it appears quite frequently. This word shows up, this exact word shows up 10 times in the Septuagint, speaking of Israel as they grumbled their way through the wilderness. Grumbling grumbling at how God chose to give grace, how he chose to deliver, the means and the timing of it. And this crowd here, what do they do? They grumble. Why? I think it's pretty obvious that they think they were more deserving of grace than Zacchaeus. They thought that certainly Jesus should go to their house before he went to Zacchaeus' house. It's amazing how grace works in this way because, you know, there are hard sayings of Jesus throughout the Gospels in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 12, for instance, starting in verse 49, Jesus says this, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. There will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Those are hard words. What is Jesus talking about? Well, for sure, he's talking in part about the fact he's coming to bring truth, and truth divides. But I think what we have to face up to the fact, as we see displayed in the Gospel of Luke, and as we've seen at these meals, truth divides. But let me tell you, grace can divide. Grace reveals in powerful and strong ways. Grace reveals. It's grace as it hits this scene that reveals the heart of this crowd. Grace shows up and they say, wait a second, he doesn't deserve that. I do. It's not just true in that day and time, it's that same thing that happens when a billionaire, Robert Smith, pays the college debt of nearly 400 college graduates. And what's the immediate reaction? Well, what about the others? It's when Amber Geigerd receives a hug from the brother of the man who's convicted of killing. And we all say, she doesn't deserve that. Grace reveals. Grace can be as soft as a pillow and as warm as a mother's embrace. But grace can also be incredibly hard. As hard as a sledgehammer and as cold and unmovable as a block of ice. Grace is often soft to those who receive it. Grace in this moment produces joy in the heart of Zacchaeus. And do you see that that same grace is felt like a sledgehammer to this crowd? I at times have struggled because there are these moments in Jesus' life where he gives these very gracious appeals. Right? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So beautiful. It's, it's like the pillow. It's, it's like the mother's embrace. But then there are moments like in Luke 14, 27, when Jesus says, listen, you got to bear your cross. You have to die. And I go, wait, which is it? Well, both are grace. The moment of salvation, I receive joyfully by grace, the completed work of Christ, and I rejoice in it and I'm thankful for it. But let me tell you, as I walk along in life, guess what I find? There are moments that grace is hard because I want to believe that I can at least contribute something. At some moment, right? Okay, God, you, you got me in by grace. I get it. I didn't deserve to get in on my own, but you got me in by grace. But now, at least at this stage, let me give a little something. Let me contribute something to this salvation process. Let me contribute something. You got me in the door, but let me contribute something. And he says, no, you have nothing that you can contribute to this whole thing. Participate? Yes. Contribute? No. well, what is that? If that's not death of self over and over and over again, I don't know what is. To be told that the very thing that I need most in life, that that, that the salvation I am desperate for, I I I can contribute to, not at all. That's daily mortification. It's not just that I begin by grace, but I live life by grace. Grace is incredibly revealing. I think sometimes as we move out into the world, we we think that, that, that the only way that, that, that we can move out is just to speak possibly hard and strong words of truth. We can be combative and think we need to be combative. Can I just, just go back to the Gospels, read through Luke, and be reminded of what the reaction was to grace? Maybe there are moments that showing grace can expose the hearts of people more than an argument can. And I'm reminded as I look at this passage, I'm cut to the heart as I consider this, that grace continues to reveal in my life. How often do I want to tell the Lord, no, I, I can contribute here. Let, let, let me, but it's always grace. Grace surprises and grace reveals. And finally, grace transforms. Grace transforms. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, anything, I restore it fourfold. I find it interesting here, and this is another reason I think Zacchaeus has come to saving faith is because he does not make any objection, makes no defense for himself. He doesn't begin listing the sins of the people in the crowd. Oh, you think I'm bad. You have no idea what she's done. He doesn't defend himself. It seems as though he's accepted this verdict. Yes, I am a sinner. So what does he do? Well, he says, Lord, I'll give half of my goods to the poor. Now, interestingly, back in that, that parable that Jesus told, Of the tax collector and the Pharisee, the Pharisee is priding himself that he's tithed, which would have been 10%, likely, of his goods. And he's priding himself. I'm way better than this tax collector over here. I tithe 10%. From what I've read, 20% would have been extraordinary to give 20% of your goods. And Zacchaeus says, I give half of my goods away. Give it to the poor. And then Zacchaeus says, if I have defrauded, and that if isn't really like a question mark if. He's not doubting, have I done this? He's saying, I have done this. And for all the people I've defrauded, what am I going to do? Now, the way I understand this is not just he's saying I'm going to pay them fourfold, but I'm going to pay them back, and then I'm going to pay them four times extra on top of that. Zacchaeus doesn't just go to the law and to the letter of the law which as I understand it, Leviticus chapter 6 verses 1 through 5 would have been that if you acquired something illegally, you paid back that amount and one-fifth. Zacchaeus was probably good with math. He could have figured out one-fifth was. I would have been lost right there. But he goes to the strongest reference we can find in the law. In Exodus 22, verse 1, we're told that if somebody were to steal another man's livestock and then kill that livestock, that he was to pay it back fivefold, which is what? The original animal plus four on top. I find it incredibly interesting that this was what David wanted to exact from the fictitious man that Nathan told him about when prophet Nathan came to tell David a story of a man who had stolen the only sheep from a poor man. David said, he'll pay it back fivefold. What does Zacchaeus say? He says, I, I'll, I'll give all of this back. And so Jesus says in verse 9, and Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Now we need to be really clear here. What we are seeing in Zacchaeus' life is the transforming work of grace. Grace. I do not believe and I do not think it's consistent with the text to say that Jesus withholds his declaration that Zacchaeus is saved until he does some act to therefore prove that he's truly believed. No, that Zacchaeus is responding to the work that's happened in his heart. In joy, Zacchaeus has found everything that he needs in Christ. And so he gladly gives away his money. That's a challenge, right? To give away that much money? Why would Zacchaeus do that? Why why would he give this money up? I think Zacchaeus realized that all that he thought he could find in being a rich man, it wasn't there. Why would Zacchaeus so freely give up this money if he wasn't forced to, if he didn't need to do it to prove something? Why would he do it? Because all that he hadn't found in money, in having so much money, he found in Christ. We fight this temptation. We, 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 we have this battle, right? And, and Paul faced this where we tell, we say, no, if you just allow people to be saved by grace, if you let someone like Zacchaeus be saved by grace and you don't tell them they have to do anything, then they'll just go out and they'll, they'll live like Hellions out there and they'll, they'll be even worse than before. But look at Zacchaeus' reaction. Zacchaeus had arrived in one sense he had a position of power and he had all of this money and guess what I think Zacchaeus was the most miserable man in that entire crowd because he had succeeded and was totally empty he had achieved what he thought would satisfy and he wasn't satisfied but then he finds it in Christ and what does he say take it all take it all I have Jesus take it all It's grace that transforms. Zacchaeus says to the crowd, I agree. I agree with you. I'm a sinner. I agree with you. I've defrauded. Another part of this that makes me think "This, (laughs) this is a work of grace is that I think it's pretty safe to say that Zacchaeus is going to be paying back the very people who grumbled at the fact that he received grace in the first place. These people who were there objecting to the fact that Zacchaeus had received grace are the ones that Zacchaeus is going to go to and freely pay them back. That's transforming grace. So Jesus says, today salvation has come to your house. Now here's another reason I think this is so clear because what is it that Jesus says about Zacchaeus? He says, he also is a son of Abraham. A son of Abraham. Now, why would he say that? Well, some say that that perhaps being a tax collector and being being as uh, horrible as as the crowd thought he was that they had said, Zacchaeus, you don't even deserve to be considered a, a Jew anymore. You're that rejected. And Jesus is pulling him in, saying, No, you are. And in fact, you are not just a Jew by heritage. You are a child of promise now you are in the blessing of Abraham now but I think there's something else and it's so important he says you're a son of Abraham and how did Abraham come to faith how did Abraham receive righteousness did he do it by acts of the law no because there was no law yet Abraham, in some ways, is so much like Zacchaeus. What was Abraham doing? Seeking after God? No. He was an idol worshiper. And God sought him. And God called Abraham. And God lavished grace on Abraham. Why? Because there was something good in Abraham? No, but because it was what God purposed. And Abraham believed and what? It was counted to him as righteousness, And what was Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a guy hiding up in a tree, just wanted to get an eye on Jesus, but he wasn't seeking Jesus. He's not seeking salvation. And what happens? The Son of Man seeks Him out and saves Him by grace. He is a son of Abraham. This takes us back as we'll come to the table today to that reality that here... Here is a covenant made with Abraham that was not dependent upon Abraham's faithfulness, but God's. Now, now Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is saved. Why? Because Zacchaeus would be faithful? Because this, this act of, of gracious uh, uh, obedience here that, that Zacchaeus would continue on that path and his assurance was in the fact that he would keep giving away and keep behaving in this way? No. It was on the assurance that this Jesus who had stopped for a moment to stay at Zacchaeus' house would finish that journey and go on to Jerusalem where all that was written about the Son of Man would be fulfilled. Grace transforms. Brothers and sisters, I just want to remind you this morning to be careful as as we observe grace transforming us that, that we don't go out into the world and point to what grace has accomplished in our lives as evidence of the fact that we deserved grace in the first place. Do you understand what I'm saying? That we don't, because this is not what Zacchaeus is doing here, and this is not what the Lord is pointing to to say, okay, because you've done this thing, now you show you were deserving of grace in the first place. No, grace transforms. And as it transforms, what do we point to? Not to ourselves, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. We go out in the world is not to prove that we are morally superior and greater and, and better. And even as people see the transforming work of God in our lives and they go, I don't understand that. May we be the first to point to Christ and say it's all of grace. That's why I'm free to obey. That's why I'm free to love. Grace surprises Grace reveals. Grace transforms. Why? Because the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that grace is not something separate from you, that grace is not some... uh, thing you have up in heaven, but but grace comes to us in Christ. Thank you that we have this story of Zacchaeus, and I pray that you would take this story and you'd use it, that these these blueberries of truth, as it were, that we've picked, that your spirit would work them deep down into us, that we would be surprised by grace, that we would allow grace to do its revealing work, and that we would continue to be transformed
1: by grace. All for your glory's sake.